Our Bible is open to the first book of the Bible, and we're in number 16, if you'll turn please in God's Word. Genesis number 16, please. And I'd like to read some verses that I trust we can tie together in the Psalms this morning. That's Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And we'll read there first, and then we'll go to our text scripture, and that's the very first book of the Bible, the 16th chapter. I want to call our attention to, really, it's a familiar little story here, but I feel the Lord has brought my attention to share with you this truth this morning. And it's a special joy, and I say that sincerely, to stand here and to attempt to open God's Word again. I tell you, he's here this morning in a marvelous and a wonderful and a very precious way. And I'm glad for that. I said to your dear pastor a moment ago, pardon me, I'm so full, I can hardly talk this morning. That I'll, I started to say I'll get over it in a minute, but I hope I don't. Amen. (laughs) But I said to your preacher, I said, I, God knows that I needed the refreshing touch that he Put in my spirit this morning and uh, spoke to my needy heart at my point of need. Some of you know, and I do appreciate those of you that prayed for us. We have personally as a family went through a storm. The night was rather dark for a few days, but the anchor did help for us. <laughs> and uh, I won't go in much detail now other than just to tell you that everything's all right now. And uh, we're so grateful. Beyond my ability to express my appreciation. Well, I tell you, I said, preacher, I've always thoroughly enjoyed the choir, but every time I come, it's like I'm bragging on you, I'm going to do it again. I tell you, they came last night where I was preaching, and these dear men, and they blessed us there, and I bragged on them there last night, and I did it here again. I told the preacher, I said, uh, we vacationed with our daughter in Orlando in the month of July for a week or so, and we normally go to hear her preacher, but I told her this time, instead of going to First Baptist in Orlando and hear Dr. Henry, we're going to drive back to Chattanooga. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, uh, I don't get to hear your preacher preach and come to hear your, your music. And uh, the Lord willing, we look forward to doing that. Well, I was a pastor for 20 years. Of the 38, I've been in the ministry. And I know that we're on a schedule on Sunday morning, especially. And I'm mindful of that. And I'm going to just get right into the message and share what I feel God wants me to talk about. In the Psalm passage, uh, let's look there first. Psalm 139. And... uh, the Psalm of David, and uh, David is talking to us about his awareness that God knows all about him. I preached a series when I was in the pastorate, and I entitled the series, The Joy of Knowing God. We came to this passage and talked about knowing the all-knowing God. The joy of knowing this kind of God, the God that knows everything about everything, of course, knows all about us. 
The joy of knowing the ever-present God. David talks about both aspects here in these first 12 verses. He says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou coppest my path and my lying down, acquainted with all of my ways. Not a word in my tongue, but, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, and whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I send into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light both are alike to thee. Now, in the first book of the Bible, we have a, a truth that really illustrates the truth that's stated there. We have it illustrated here. The seventh verse of the 16th chapter, we'll break into this little story. And the text says, The angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to shore. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? She said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands, and Angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. He'll be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. She called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called merely Hiroi. Behold, it's between Kadesh and Beerit. And Hagar bare Abram's son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. In the thirteenth verse, there's four words that stand out this morning. And spoke to my needy heart again as I came to it. This young Egyptian handmaid, we would not be incorrect if we called her a slave. This servant girl, all alone, been dealt harshly with, been mistreated. And here she is on her way back toward Egypt, the way to Shur is headed back down through that uh, wilderness desert area. Toward Egypt, her homeland, where she's come from. And she stops at this little spring of water. And uh, someone calls her name. Someone reveals to her that he knows all about her. Knows her situation that she finds herself in. And her response to this one who, with this authoritative voice, called her by name. She said, Thou, God, seest me. 
That's Hagar's way, really, of saying, there is a God that knows all about me. He's with me. He sees me. He knows me. And uh, to commemorate that, that well was called so, uh, long after this meeting that she had with, this, with the, the Lord God. The well was called, really, Hiroi simply means uh, the well of the living one who sees me. I had someone to say something to me a few days ago that brought this truth into focus. I won't go into much detail. It involves, uh, uh, cover some weeks now and even months. We were out on the West Coast preaching. I was out there preaching. My wife was with me. And uh, the time changed. There's three hours difference in the time where I live and out on the West Coast. And, and we got in from the, the meeting about 9 the p.m. that evening. And I noticed the phone, the, the message light was on. And I, I, I got in touch with the office and found that uh, there was a call that I would need to return. And I returned the call to our oldest son. And immediately I detected that there was something wrong. I could sense in his voice. And uh, 12 o'clock back home, and he said, Dad, we've got bad news. You, you're not going to believe this. And uh, he told me something that, uh, honestly, I couldn't hardly uh, comprehend. And I said to him, you're not serious. And he said, yes. And he called their preacher, a young 40-year-old young pastor, he called him by name. He's the, his wife, my daughter-in-law's first cousin. He's like a son of ours. He's the same age of our son that I was talking to. They, they grew up together. They went to school together. They're 40 years old. And uh, he said he died suddenly of a heart attack this evening. I just preached a meeting for him. I just left uh, our area just days uh, prior to our going out to Oregon in the meeting. And uh, I don't think in all the years that I've heard some calls, surprising and shocking and startling calls, I don't think I've ever had a call. I've said that to say this. He said, you need to get in touch. And he called his wife's name said, uh, they're expecting you. They know the time change. And I got in touch with her. And uh, she, well, no, when I was getting home, I said, we'll travel. I have changed flights three times on Thursday. Time difference and throw us behind. It'll be Thursday night late when we're due in. And uh, this is Tuesday. And she said, well, he would want it no other way. We'll hold the funeral until Saturday. And uh, you, he won't, I know he wants you. He's, you're his preacher. He was saved under your ministry, called to preach under your ministry. You're his pastor. And uh, we had the service. We're not going into detail. I don't think I've ever been at a memorial service that we've since God taken over doing so much apparently in that service. But I've said all this to all that to say this. Trying to help her, she said to me some days after that, she said, I've never felt so alone in all my life. Three small children, fourteen year old, eleven year old, and an eight year old. And uh, she'd call me, of course she calls me preacher. And uh, she said, uh, I almost feel abandoned, forsaken. I encouraged her just to pour her heart out. I said, God will let you talk. God, it'll be a good therapy, and he'll let you just cry out to him. And I said, you can feel free to talk to me that way. I've said that, now I'm leading up to something. 
we begin to see God graciously, tenderly, so constantly start expressing Himself, showing His goodness. I preached there recently, just a few days before leaving. I've been on the road this last week. And there is that young widow and those three precious children there on the second row. I, I sensed the moment I walked up here and began to talk that it's different. See, what's in here sometimes reflects here. It's been some weeks now since it happened. And uh, I could sense that she's coping. I could sense the anchor's holding. You know what she said to me after the meeting? Her and those precious children. She said, Brother Hurt, we want to tell you, sir, family. We, we didn't know that he could give such special personal attention as he's doing for us. And she said, I'm just aware, uh, personally, she said, and seems almost constantly aware that he sees us. He's watching over us. I read this text again this morning. Tried to pray for that family. Tried to hold that young widow and those precious children up. And it just leaped off of the page, this truth of this text that is long ago, yonder in that wilderness, in that arid desert, at a little spring of water. A young woman, we know very little about her. We just know that she's a, she's a servant. And in that economy of that day, she, she was not counted very important. In fact, she's been mistreated. She's been put down. And, and she's been dealt so hardly with, she's fleeing. She has to leave. And here she is all alone. And this God they've been singing about and we've been lifting our hearts in worship to this morning. He took the initiative. She wasn't looking for him. The Bible said he found her and uh, he spoke to her and she's amazed to say the least. And revealed that he knows her not only by name but her circumstances, her need. Talks to her about her future in detail, at least concerning that boy and tells about the character of that uh, uh, baby that's in her womb and uh, even about the conflict that will mark him throughout the existence of his descendants. This God who knows everything. This God, David said, when I sit down, He knows it. When I stand up, He knows it. He knows my thoughts, for I'm aware of them. She said, Thou, God, seest me. It's her way of saying, He knows me. He's aware of me. He knows what's going on. I jotted an old, uh, an old Puritan I was reading some time ago from here, and he said, This assures us of divine attention given to human affliction. He said, We're assured of a divine mercy from this little story for human misery. When God spoke to her and said, Name him Ishmael means God is heard, he said, The Lord's heard your affliction. Or really, more literally, God's heard your misery. And I want to just spend a few minutes this morning talking about this attention that uh, uh, the young widow said to me a few days ago. I wasn't, uh, I'm amazed at such personal attention that he's given. 
And I tell you this morning in this room, God knows you. He knows you by name. He knows you by need. He knows all about you this morning. You're in this room this morning with a personal need. There is a personal God. He He sees you. He knows you. He's aware of you. He's concerned for you this morning. And she expresses that by saying, Thou, God, seest me. Oh, the perception that's in this attention. He has total insight. Total, complete understanding of everything that involves us this morning. And He reveals that. We're told now there's somewhat over 6 billion persons on this earth. That's staggering almost to try to uh, take hold of. 6 billion. And I was thinking about that this morning, just pondering this, the attention that God gives to this human family. And the perception that's in that attention understands with, with complete understanding and insight about everything that involves every one of those six billion persons on this earth. Now, that's that to say the least, of course, is so amazing. This God who knows all about us. This God who sees us. This God who is aware of us. This God who cares for us. Oh, there's such personal attention. Such perception in this, in this attention that He's given to us knows everything that's going on in the, this morning. Oh, how patient He is with us. Uh, this God who, as He revealed Himself to her, now you that know the story, we didn't go into detail. We didn't uh, go in the first part of it. We're not taking time to do that. But in the first part of the story, you'll discover that Hagar finds herself in a situation it wasn't her choosing. She didn't really have much to do with it. She's placed into a situation, but then it had such an effect on her that she became rather arrogant in her position. And she didn't see herself anymore as Sarah's maid. She begins to see herself as Abram's wife. And she's creating this friction between these two women now in the tent. And Sarah complains to Abram, and Abram says, she's your servant, you do something about it. And Sarah did. Sarah made it so rough on her. She had to leave, but yet uh, she instigated it, really. Hagar, she's the one, after finding herself in the position that she's placed in, and I repeat, it had such a profound impact on her that she, she becomes, it appears, to be a little arrogant and, and argumentative and stubborn. And uh, here she is now, after creating the problem. I mean, she's the cause of it, in the sense there of the strife. And now here she is out here alone, and yet God's so patient with her. God's so tender with her. God is so mindful of her attention. And when He speaks to her, He lets her know that He knows not only her name, but her circumstances. He said, you're Sarah's maid. It's interesting to me. He doesn't call her Abram's wife. He calls her Sarah's maid. And He said, where did you come from? And where are you going? God's not seeking information. That's a rhetorical question. Not, not intended to get an answer. A rhetorical question intends to teach us something. And He's trying to get her to... Focus on where she came from. Where are you going? Oh, she's headed down toward that dangerous trail down across that desert area. And God wants her to see that. Knew her name, knew her circumstances, but I mentioned He knows her need. He knows she don't need to be out there. She's uh, a mother to be just in a little while. First child, all alone, no doctor, no nurse, no 
midwife, no anyone to help her. And God, with her need in mind, God says, you return and you go back and you submit. And she did. And he gave such a wonderful promise after displaying his patience in this attention. He began to say to her something about that one that's in your womb. Told her, said, uh, you're to name him Ishmael because God has heard and gave promises. Uh, as I said a moment ago, the personal uh, life of the young, young boy was not a pleasant uh, word that God gave her, but he promised that those descendants, that God would bless this woman that he meets out there at the well. Now listen to me just carefully in closing. To our needy hearts here this morning. There is a God who knows us, sees us. There is a God who cares for us. There's a God who's listening to you this morning. You see, she wasn't audibly expressing her heart. She wasn't crying out to God. When God said, name him Ishmael because the Lord has heard, He said He's heard your affliction. God's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. you got a broken heart this morning? Oh, that speaks loudly to God this morning. You this morning, you got... You, you, you under some kind of oppression? I tell you, God not only knows, but God hears the cry of your heart this morning. And she said, name that well. The well of the living one who sees me. I heard a testimony. It's been some years back now. And it brings the essence of what I'm talking about this morning into focus in a real sweet way. I won't go into any detail. Uh, the man gave his testimony, and he's an older man then, so uh, perhaps he doesn't live now. This goes back 20 years. But uh, he he told how that, as he put it, they wanted him to, in his testimony, to give a word uh, about the dark valley that he walked through. And uh, talked about how God sustained him, as he put it, through that dark valley. He was a businessman, a rather successful businessman. What he made reference to, as he put it, he was just a young businessman. And uh, his wife was taken ill and died uh, rather suddenly. In his words, he said there was always some mystery connected to her illness. We never ever knew for sure all that was involved. And uh, But she was taken from me at a young age, rather suddenly, and he lived his life alone. And he said... Uh, I was left with a little five-year-old girl. She was an only child. They had the funeral, and uh, the point he was making was this. He said, after the funeral, we went back to the, as he put it, that big old empty house. And the first night after the funeral, he said, I felt that God just wanted me and the little girl to spend the night alone. We'd spent those days through the funeral time with uh, family members. But he said, I felt I wanted to try to, uh, convey the truth as much as I could to that little girl about uh, her mother leaving us. And in his words, he said that night, after retiring, he said, and he described, uh, you know, where the bedroom was situated. He said, My, our bedroom was here, and the little girl sort of down the hall, catacomb, you could see, and said, uh, the lights are out. And I thought she was asleep, but he said, I heard the emotion feel voice of that five-year-old little girl. And her little voice to me was, Daddy, I miss Mommy. Many years later, that man telling that tears trickled down his cheeks. 
He said, I knew I needed to get in there and I needed to get in there quickly to try to help that little girl. And he said, I got beside of her bed and I said, honey, I miss her too. Sure, we miss her. But uh, let me tell you again, we've agreed. Mommy's not out. We didn't leave her out in the cemetery. Mommy is with Jesus. I said the best I could. Uh, incidentally, how, how could you explain to a five-year-old about losing, losing its mother? I have a five-year-old grandchild. How would you tell a five-year-old little girl you know, about the death of her mother? But he said the best I could. I tried to tell her. Lights are off again. And he said, uh, uh, there in the darkness, I hear her emotion-filled voice again. And her voice was this. She said, Daddy, are you looking towards my room? He said, Honey, my face is turned right toward your room. Daddy, will you keep your face turned toward my room while you sleep? And that dear man said, I I promise that little girl, I'll keep my face looking toward your room while I sleep. He said she went to sleep. I got up later. He said, God's grace has kept me from blaming him. I haven't really gotten bitter and blamed him. But said, he has permitted me to question him. And said there at the table late that night, I cried out to him and I said, oh God, is there something you could tell me? Oh, how I needed her. How that little girl needed her. Is there something you could tell me? And he said, I've never heard God speak audibly as clearly as God has ever impressed my spirit. You know what he said to me? Son, my face is turned towards you. Many years later, he said, I've been aware through these many years. There's someone watching over me. Someone looking in my direction. And he sustained me. Oh, there's a a one this morning with eyes full of mercy and a heart full of love. And he's looking at your way personally. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. All over the room, God's people in the moment of quietness. All over the room, moment of quietness. I haven't gone in much detail of preaching this morning. I save that to the evening services. Just a simple truth, but yet such a such a wonderful, encouraging truth. Someone sees us. Someone knows us. Someone cares for us. You're in this room without Him this morning. They've, they've been talking about Calvary. That's where God said to us poor sinners, I love you. And I've done something about your sins. I've paid that sin debt. You're here with a broken heart this morning. Oh, His Word is casting all your care on Him. He cares for you. And He wants you to lean upon Him. Would you stand with me all over the audience? I'm going to ask the pastor if he'd come. Brother Ken, you come if you would, please, sir. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and God's people in a moment of quietness. The pastor's here and he'll have a word from his heart to our hearts. If God's talking to you this morning, don't miss him. Whatever the reason, whatever the need is, just there's plenty of room. Someone down here will help you. Don't miss him this morning while we stand with our heads bowed. The dear pastor's here.